Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. It's episode 42. And we've got all three of us back for some reason. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I'm joined today by Ray and Leon. So say hi, Ray. Hey, dude. And say hi, Leon. Hey. That's right, all of us. Okay, so um, I guess we've done a fair bit of reading in the absence as well. Oh, God, no. Never enough. <laughs> definitely, not, definitely not read enough, but I've read some stuff. So, yeah. Okay, so where have you been, Ray? I've been on holiday. I've been at the beach, and that was great because I don't normally do beach holidays. But it was nice just to do <laughs> do nothing, like covered by sand for a week. Like it was cool because I, I I I love swimming, and I don't get to do it very often. Like living in London, it's really expensive to go swimming, and it's also really hard to go to the pool and stuff. And I kind of forgot how much I loved it, and also how good it is for like I've you know I've got a, I've got a bad knee, and like swimming, you know, literally for hours a day for a week has made me feel so much better. It was amazing. So I'm it's I feel really rejuvenated. It's really good. How was your guys um like bank holiday weekend and stuff? Um yeah, so I'd ask you how you've been Leon, but you were in my house like literally two days ago. So <laughs> <laughs> in that one day space between you, you know, being at my house and not being at my house, how have you been? Uh I've been in a tired stupor recovering from the weekend. <laughs> what did you guys get up to? Video games. That- well, that's the thing. We were just chilling out. There's a, there was yeah. a lot of uh, talking, a lot of uh, video game action, and a lot of uh, board game and card game action. But it was all very. Uh, we're all in our thirties now, chilled out. <laughs> so uh, I don't know why I'm so tired. Yeah, can't party like we used to. <laughs> but it was I, fun. I gather you guys all played um, Dixit or Dixit, depending on how you pronounce it. The board game about um, like these. Is it like the, it's a bunch of cards and they all have strange, vivid imagery on them, and you have to place one down and like describe a thing that it's that it could be describing, or give yeah. a phrase that it could be describing, and then everyone else has to put down a card that could also describe the same thing because they're all such oblique, distracted, like strange images. And whoever clo- whoever guesses the closest is the winner. Like, is that is that the one I'm thinking of? That's kind of right. Yeah, uh, we yeah. did play Dixit. So the way I uh, have become accustomed to the game, the rules that I played were: you were given a hand of cards, and you are asked basically if you're you're you are designated storyteller, then you have to give a word or a phrase or a sentence that comes to mind when you look at a particular card. Now, you don't want it to be too easy that everyone can guess it and know which card it is, but you don't want it to be too cryptic that nobody gets it because that's how you get that sweet spot where you get enough points. Because if everyone Mm. guesses it, you don't get any points. Um, It's really clever. And then the artwork is in service of that whole gameplay method because because it's like these fantastical worlds or like really abstract or surreal yeah. things like i think there was one which is like an escher staircase with a dice on it and a horse in the corner and stuff um and the reason i bring it up is because you mentioned it in the group chat and it turns out um i actually played it while i was in italy because um my girlfriend bought it for one of her friends you know for her birthday mm. and i had to play that game 
but in a language that I don't understand, and it was really fucking hard. <laughs> yeah, no, we we played Dixit, and it was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it, it was it was fun getting different people's interpretation of this artwork and everything else, and how different people look at different pictures and things. The, the cool mm. thing about Dixit as well is that different people will see different things in those pictures because the closer and the longer you look at the picture, the more things start to pop out. So mm-hmm. like there's a picture of a, um, I guess I can only describe it as a raccoon with bat wings standing on top of a skyscraper um, while, you know, it's it's all in red and orange and there's things creeping up from the bottom. And some people would say that's flames. But when I look at it, I see tentacles. <laughs> you see it's like it's the it's it's um how do i say deliberately ambiguous sometimes i think it's deliberately ambiguous and then it's kind of like a really cool friendship rorschach test because yeah. if you look at something and then like your mate across the table sees exactly the same thing as you it's like shit yeah. we're in alignment like there's something yeah. about our unique group of you know our unique grouping or the way that we think mm. or the way that we discuss yeah. that lets us see both the same thing in this really well, unique abstract that's, way that's interesting because we played it in pairs as well ah okay so we we had a team game of dixit mm. where it was me and leon pitted against some other teams of people that were at my house at the time mm. um and it, it just went to show that me and Leon were on a completely different plane to everyone else. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, we, we did we did come second in the end, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. But but, we, weren't, we weren't too bad. <laughs> no, but some of the stuff we were coming out with was like, uh, I think there was one particular card and it was like a dark mouth with like a train track going into it, like a mine shaft. And we mm. said Disney. <laughs> so I can see, I know which one you're talking about and I can yeah. see it. Yeah. <laughs> But obviously nobody else could. So, <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, we, there was some there was some pretty pretty cool answers that people were coming out with for some of the cards and things, like some of the uh, things that people were picking out and stuff. Like, and um, people were telling stories that hung on like a single detail in one card, mm. <laughs> and it's just like so cryptic and minor that it's like how did you spot that? Like, how did you put that together? I don't know how you put that together in your head, but I respect you for that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a cool game overall and it's nice. It's, it, it's pretty fun to play. Um, among and other the games, artwork is, is lovely in it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. played a few other games as well. We played a cyanide and happiness game, which is kind of like cards against humanity, but uh, cyanide and happiness comics. And it's okay. more, it's more like storytelling yeah. in terms of the setup of a joke. So, you know, like a, a standard three panel cyanide and happiness comic, mm. um, you would put together like someone takes a card off the top of the deck and puts it down. And then the other players have to put the card that they think best. They put a card either in front or behind that. Then the other players have to put down the card that they think best finishes that off. And whoever makes the best joke wins the round, basically. Oh, kind of like visual Mad Libs. Yeah, or you, yeah. Where you all, you, everyone takes it in turns. Or you know that game where you write a sentence and then you fold it over and then the next person writes a sentence? Like yeah. that, but with comic strips. Yeah, but you can actually see what comes before. And then it's like yeah. the best finisher wins kind of thing. That sounds best, best panel to finish it off. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also played um, Epic Spell Wars of the Battle Wizards. <laughs> which is probably one of was my that, favorite games. Was that one of yours, Greg? 
Was it? I don't know. <laughs> you tell me, right? <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> Sounds like one of yours. Yeah, you, you build spells and you throw spells at each other and you build ridiculous wacky spells and take health off each other and last wizard standing twice in a row wins and it's like a battle royale. Cool. And it, I, I love I, the, one of the reasons I love that game is because it's kind of like curse words. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, because it's like a whole. <laughs> there's a whole arc in curse words where you've got all these like I, I say an arc. I think it's just part of an arc, but it's um, all the different wizards of the whole world uh, competing in some kind of battle royale slash tournament thing for Syzygy's, uh entertainment and also to decide who gets to go through to earth next and fight um wizard and try and take him down for syzygy basically it's like to try and find the strongest kind of thing and it's kind of cool and it it feels very like that in its kind of madcap magical framing so yeah it's kind of like the way that epic battle wizards is done it's kind of like that meets rick and morty i guess Oh, you had me until so, the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's <laughs> it's along it's along those lines. That's that's the best way I can describe it. But it's really good. Okay. And it's Sounds really fun. I'll have game. to look that up. Yeah. yeah. Next time we're all together, we should play it. Um, and apart from that, there was just lots of video games, lots of Smash Bros, lots of uh, other video games like uh, Street Fighter, and um, I think we played Dragon some, Ball. Dragon Ball, yeah. It was it was fun. It was a good weekend, and we were yeah, like I said, we're in our thirties now, so we can't really, we don't really party like we used to. But you know, we just sat and sort of had a chilled a chilled weekend. It was nice. I mean, I mean, we say that, but we we did have some late nights. Oh yeah, we had late nights, but it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like we were like doing you know beer pong and solo cups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not <laughs> not that kind of no, but yeah, it was good. It was fun. Um. Yeah, so that that was our weekend, and uh, and then after that Monday, is when I got my reading done, and obviously some of these I'd actually read before, and then I read before and after. So um, I guess we should crack on with the uh, the comics that we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to open this up with a Ace Comicals favorite, and uh, we all have ice cream here, right? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be so hanging, man. <laughs> I thought it was rhetorical. Everyone loves ice cream. Yeah. Who doesn't love ice cream? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you like Neapolitan ice cream? I like one third of Neapolitan ice cream. Okay, which third do you like? Uh chocolate, I think. The chocolate third. Oh my god, you yeah. picked the weirdest one. So uh <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> This is uh Ice Cream Man number six. The title of the comic is Strange Neapolitan. And uh. <laughs> the way I've heard this described in various other places of the internet and, you know, kind of like the buzz, the buzz description for this tends to be that it's kind of like a um, a twisted sliding doors. Oh, so okay. the way the comics were, you know, the film, the movie sliding doors. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it described like this in, in a couple of places of the internet. Um, and I, I think I, I can't come up with anything better. So yeah that's what it is um so it's like uh you open the comic it starts off in full color and as most of these ice cream man books go guy buys an ice cream he uh he orders three flavors 
um, three scoops is like strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, Neapolitan. Now, the rest of the book is him, his life unfolding in three different ways. Um, and the book is done in this kind of like three stripe setup on each page where you've got the top, which is strawberry, the middle, which is vanilla and the bottom, which is chocolate. Um, and the artwork is shades of those colors through a through like almost like it's the usual artwork, but through a filter. So the top has like a pink filter over it. The middle has like a yellow filter over it and the bottom has a brown filter over it and everything is in shades of those colors. It's all very, um, it's all very, very, I can't think of a word to describe it, but it's really cool. Um, so you've got pink, yellow and brown, which is Neapolitan ice cream, which is, and, and yeah, this book is misery and darkness in three flavors. So yeah, that's the best way to describe it. Um, each one is equally as unsettling and misery and, you know, horror and just horrible stuff lies at the end of each of the three paths. And some of them are a little bit more, um, oh, how do I put this? Insidious than the others. Like, uh, one of them, the, the, the brown path, the chocolate path is ultimately like what I would say the straight up horror path because weird stuff happens, you know, horrific events and whatever else. Kind of, kind of the weird that we get with, um, issue five which was the ballad of a falling man um and it's kind of that kind of stuff where you've got like um the 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 vultures turning up and things like that and uh you end up with um yeah it's it's just the it's the most it's the most out there and surreal and horrific one like a bad dream like a nightmare um the middle one is the uh vanilla one which i think is the worst <laughs> of the three like this is the one that that hurts me the most the top one the pink one is the strawberry one and uh i'll come to the vanilla one last because that's the one that hurts the most but the strawberry one he uh on his way back down the road he bumps into a young woman and they get married and they have a child and then something horrible happens at the end and it gets very very ice cream man the middle one, he's coming and got back down the road with the ice cream and uh, bumps into a dog and the dog's injured and he takes the dog and gets the dog's leg fixed. And then uh, this is this is where it, it breaks my heart because this dog's actually missing and there's a missing poster. And he chooses to ignore the missing poster and hides the dog in a house somewhere, doesn't let the dog out and goes back and visits the dog and keeps the dog for himself. <laughs> that That destroyed me. Like that was the worst one because <laughs> that's that's really selfish and really, you know, like there's if there's something terrible inside someone, then that is the you know, that that is like because the whole th- there's a part of this book where he's looking at an ATM and it spells out a message. There's something horrible inside you or something like that. And that that middle path is just I don't know why that's the worst one for me, but it's the worst one. Can you see where I'm coming from? 
Yeah, because it's not it's not violence or torture or anything. It's just self bad person acting super selfishly. And yeah, and it's not even the dog knows what's going on. You know, the dog's just mm. happy to have somebody that loves him and whatever. And he's been kept prisoner by this guy. And it's just like depriving the world, depriving the dog of the world, and depriving the dog's original family of the dog that they're obviously looking for, and they're probably given up on by that point. And I don't like it. Oh yeah. my god, that sounds horrifying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sounds like it sounds like a really horrible run, Lola run. Yeah, I mean, in, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying the other two are, are any kind of picnic because in the last one. <laughs> He gets stabbed in the knee by a guy wearing a bird mask, and then a bird climbs out of his chest. And in in the in the in the strawberry path, um, they they have a baby. The baby dies, and the mother becomes an alcoholic. And then something happens to her, and then he becomes an alcoholic. I would have said spoilers, but all of this sounds like you would expect it from the series. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love this comic. I really do. Um, I think it's great. And, you know, as always, the artwork's fantastic. Um, never complain about the artwork in this book. It's just, just always great. I-, I love the way that everything is, is framed and, and placed on the page. And I just love the way that, like, Martin Morazzo and Chris O'Halloran do that with this book, you know? It's just... Oh, it's just, just so great. And some of the panel work in here is fantastic as well because the cool thing about the panels in this book, the panel work, is that the panels fit the particular pacing of the path. So the paths, as they as they go across through the pages, like these three bars on each page, like the panels fit the pacing and the pacing is like how, how the panels bring out the pacing in each path, like how... how we've described this kind of stuff before where it's like panels laid over larger panels and things. And it's, it's kind of perfectly done because you know, some tales are slower than others and things like that, but it just works perfectly. You know, I think it's great like that. Yeah. Um, Martin Morazzo is a fantastic artist and fantastic. Like he is just panel constructor and like a brief shout out for another comic that he's doing currently that I'm reading called she could fly, which I think I mentioned in the past, but I just recently read um, issue number two, and it's the same. It's the same level of like yeah. unsettling, creepy tension. Yeah, uh, that I think he brings really well to, to Ice Cream Man. It's great, and and Ice Cream Man is just this this full of creepy tension, and this one is particularly full of creepy tension, uh, and and just you know unsettling actions of human race and stuff, and it's just great. Mm. You know, it's just unsettling. It's it's creepy. There's depressing endings to it. It's just like, yeah. Because I don't, need, I mean, like the vanilla one appears like a happy ending, but I don't think it's a happy ending. No way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I love, I love that book, and um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just brilliantly written, and I can't, you know, I can't, I, I have to talk about it every time I get one. I can't not <laughs> mention it on the cast because <laughs> I just enjoy it so much, and you guys need to catch up, man. Yeah, for sure. It's de- it's it's always on the list. Like I think I'm not that far behind, um, and it's one of those like I read the first couple of issues a few times each because they just they they've got that much to pour over. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, to catching up to, yeah. to six on this one. No, this yeah, this one is great, and it's 
I think I think it's just one of my favourites because oh, it, it's just the way that it travels these three paths at once. And I think that's a cool thing for a comic to do. And the way they've done it is really good as well because it actually, it works really well. The way they've actually done that and put that together and managed to achieve that is is just absolutely fantastic. So that one was Ice Cream Man number six, published by Image Comics. We've got writer W. Maxwell Prince. Uh, we've got artist and cover artist Martin Morazzo with colours by Chris O'Halloran. Uh, a variant colour by Christian Ward. Um, we've got design for the book by Good Old Neon and lettering by Good Old Neon. Uh, not that there is much lettering in this book because um, I forgot to mention actually it is mainly silent and um, where where the, there are like certain noises that need to be accentuated or, you know, noises that are given flesh, shall we say, by letters and speech bubbles, um, the lettering... Is, is awesome in in the way that it is used to illustrate these few sparse sounds and the way that the the way that it's employed is great and there's some really cool moments where it's like the particular noises that they pick out and the things they they, they pick to illustrate are, are are brilliant i love it yeah it's just such a great great piece of work and that one shall forever sit in the uh the box of favorites i think <laughs> definitely so up next on our list we have uh, something for you to talk about ray and it's a game yeah i just thought it was worth mentioning that i played hollow knight while i was on holiday because i took my switch with me and um, i think i've mentioned on the cast a few times that it's really hard for me to like sink hours into something um especially when it's like challenging and it's testing my patience and hollow knight is definitely one of those kind of games that's it's quite difficult and requires a lot of patience and i'm 15 hours into it now and that is unprecedented for me um so if you don't know what hollow knight is it's like this very limited color palette 2d platformer metroidvania style souls like kind of game um where you play uh this like needle wielding insect who's traversing through this world after it's you know, like after the fact, after the apocalypse or after some, you know, tragedy has befallen it and this this world is really empty and somber. And it reminds me of Dark Souls in that way because um, just the setting is really um, grim and depressing. Um, and like you're watching like the, the dust of the world um, and like the remnants of the world play out. And it has this, the, the Souls-like um, cyclical you know nature of the game where you have to keep pushing forward and every little new thing you you know traverse into is like this additional level of information which helps you get a little step further and it's just this whole thing about persistence until you succeed and it's just it's really good it really held my attention for so long and i'm you know i feel like i've barely scratched the surface even 15 hours in um and the the art style is just lovely like if you like cute with a tinge of sadness and depression then it'll be right up your alley and it's just it's just gorgeous it's a really well constructed game it's a damn fine game so I'd, I'd recommend that hollow knight yeah um i've been watching a mutual friend of ours play it on stream um anthony askew antaskew um he's been sort of like streaming it on twitch mm. uh, yeah i've is... watched him play it which yeah. is partly the reason i picked it up because i saw how much fun he was having with it yeah yeah um 
and it, it does look pretty cool. It looks like something that I will have to shove on my list. It's on there alongside the likes of Dead Cells. Is it Ooh, Dead you Cells? I love Dead Cells, yeah. Yeah, because people keep telling me, Greg, it's Metroidvania. Why are you not playing that? <laughs> I'd say Hollow Knight is more of a Metroidvania than Dead Cells, but like Dead Cells has this... Um, it's more that the, the world is roguelike or roguelite i think yeah. is the term so where it it's randomized generates. and yeah procedurally yeah. generated but you yeah. you get to keep all of these like really cool weapons which combine in really interesting ways and it just it, it feels really good to control i i mm. think you'd i think you'd dig both of them but they're they're two very different types of style like gameplay in yeah, some I'll, ways i'll have to check those out mm. definitely oh and honest. um on a switch related note uh, by the time this episode comes out, one of my favorite games of this year, which is like a, a top-down mech strategy game called Into the Breach, which was previously only on the PC, um, and it's by the same team who'd made uh, FTL, Faster Than Light, which is another top-down strategy game. I bloody adore this game. I put so many hours into it, and it like it's the closest I've come to feeling like being in a mech and making those really intense, strategic, like, anime mech decisions where... You know, you blast a, a rocket, but it flies past the villain. But what you're really doing is hitting the wall behind them, and it pushes them into a, like an ocean of lava and stuff. Like it's really good. And now you can play it on a switch. So I, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff, that's into the breach. So what's that team called? Sorry. Um. I th- oh God, you put me on the spot here. One second. Sorry, I'll have to look this up. Into the breach is by. Uh, sub subset games who subset did games. FTL faster than light. Cool. And um, who is Hollow Knight by? I think that was. It's like relatively unknown. Give me a second to look that up. I should really know the, the history of these. It's an Australian studio called Team Cherry. Cool. And Hollow Knight's been out for a while, but it's it's recently had like a a second coming because it came out on the Switch and everybody's been raving about it. Sweet. So, um, moving on from there, it's my next pull, which is Batman Kings of Fear. Um, now, this is a six-issue miniseries, um, number one of which I'm about to talk about now. And this is a Batman thing. <laughs> this came out last Wednesday, I believe, on the 22nd. Yes, yes, it did. And... Um, this is nostalgia, I guess is the best way to describe it, and the reason I bought it. Um, it's by people, you know, like Batman veterans. Um, I will give you some names. And it's a good opening to a new Batman story, and... Uh, it, the the story's all brand new, but the artwork, it looks like it's been sort of like whipped from some of the best 90s comics for the, the you know, that were, were Batman comics, some of the best Batman 90s comics. So it, it kind of does suffer a little bit, but I'll come to that in a moment. But yeah, it's that kind of stuff. So uh, we have um, Scott Peterson and Kelly Jones are the main two behind this. Scott Peterson's the writer. He was a former Batman editor. And Kelly Jones, who has worked on various other Batman titles, um... Kelly Jones is known as a Nightfall cover artist. He penciled Batman from issue 515. He's worked on Batman, Dark Joker, The Wild, and uh, Vampire and the Vampire Batman trilogy. 
Um, Scott James Peterson is the former Batman editor, as I mentioned. Uh, we have colorist Michelle Madsen, Rob Lee on letters, um, Kelly Jones and Madsen made the cover. Bill uh, Sinovich is the variant cover. Um, we've got here, Dave, we've got a credit for Dave uh, Vilgos as the warden, which I'm not sure what a warden does in uh, in comics, but he's credited as the warden and James S. Rich as the group editor. So, um, yeah, as always, Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. So uh, as we flick through this book, um, yeah, it's uh, it starts off. Um, Joker's got a warehouse full of goons. Batman comes and breaks it up. Drives back, drives the Joker back to Arkham. On the way back to Arkham, Joker's talking. Batman's not. Um, Joker is trying to get in the Batman's head. Um, and there's this whole question throughout the book of you know. It's that age-old question, like, is Batman responsible for his rogues gallery? And, like, is Batman's presence something that validates their, their methods and validates them as 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 these uh, super criminals? Something that gives them purpose. Is Batman's presence giving them purpose and causing them to perpetrate the crimes that they are perpetrating, I guess, throughout Gotham. Um, and this is the the kind of gist of, you know, what happens. There's this whole conversation between one of the Doctors at Arkham and Batman about halfway through this issue that kind of outlines all of that. Um, so Batman takes the Joker back to Arkham, uh, puts him to sleep on the way back because he gets fed up with his yammering. Um, we get to Arkham. We have the conversation between Batman and the Doctor and there is a breakout and um, pretty much most of Batman's rogues gallery makes it free. Uh, there's a big brawl. Batman manages to subdue them, but there's one missing. And that would be Dr. Jonathan Crane. And uh, yeah, that's where we're left. That's where we're left at the end of that issue. I'm not going to go any further than that because I'll end up spoiling the, the hook. But that's pretty much where this issue leaves us. Um, and it's going to deal with from here onwards the scarecrow starting a riot in arkham and um it's going to be down to batman to kind of end that so it's one of these kind of like arkham hotbox stories where it's all going down inside the asylum kind of thing um and it's pretty cool um the story's pretty good you know i love the writing i have no complaint about the actual content of the story because i i you know i love a good batman tale and i think this is probably going to be a really good batman tale but um, the artwork, while it is really, really stellar in places, it also suffers in places because it's that over-exaggerated 90s style, you know, sometimes where it's over-muscular, sometimes where there's too much shadow, a um, lot of lines, um, and it's just it's just an older style. And yeah, I've got a lot of nostalgia for it, but, you know, the minute I take off my rose-tinted specs... Or look over them. It's I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> For some of the panels, especially. Uh, I mean, there's points where it's awesome, and points where the the it just dips considerably, and it's just so inconsistent throughout this book. Um, I mean, Kelly Jones is, is he is a great artist, but I think 
I don't I don't know what what the issue is here, but there there are points where I'm just looking at it and just like, oh my gosh, you really dropped the ball. Why did you do that kind of thing? Um, and I mean, this guy, the pro- some of the projects this guy's worked. I mean, this guy's worked on Sandman. Kelly Jones has worked on Sandman. He did uh, stuff for the Dream Country and Secrets of the Mists parts of Sandman. So, um, I mean, you, you can go back and you can check out some of the stuff he's done, and it's pretty stellar stuff. But then, like, in this book, it just seems hit and miss. And I don't know if that's because it's 2018 now and I'm looking at it, or I, I don't know what's causing that, but it just it just feels that way. I don't know. Um, but I mean, I remember his artwork fondly from him doing covers on the Nightfall comics and things like Batman Nightfall stuff, like from the nineties, mid nineties and whatever. So that was, that's, that's kind of why I went and picked this book up because for me, it's kind of a nostalgia trip. Cause it's like a, it's like an old school Batman story, um, where, you know, it's like this Arkham hotbox thing and like the classic setup and whatever else. And we've got some old school Batman faces working on it. And for me, it's great as a fan. Um, I don't, you're either going to get on with the art or you're not. And there are places where I can safely say you're probably not. Um, But I, I, I enjoyed reading it and I'm going to pick up the rest of it. So yeah, that was uh, Batman Kings of Fear number one. Um, I don't know whether that's sort of like, I don't know if you guys have much history with Batman outside of, I mean, like what I've told you to read at times and things like that. Um, But I don't know if you guys have ever come across Kelly Jones before. In Sandman, for sure. Um, If I'm remembering correctly, it's that really heavy and quite realistic, but like exaggerated style from, from Sandman. I'm like just giving it a quick Google. It's like these black and white images of Morpheus where he... He's realistically proportioned, but it's all, it's a little bit caricatured. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not sure it's the style that I like the most from that entire run. Um, but that's the only exposure I have to Kelly Jones, I think. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, you, you're sort of on it right there. I mean, like when you see him draw Batman, it tends to be Batman with the big, long, pointy ears. Mm. Um, like the, the sort of like really kind of like ghoulish Batman with claws and pointy ears, Batman. Right. I mean, yeah. people's tastes change over the, you know over time, and yeah. maybe it's enough for some people to have it be that nostalgia thing. And maybe yeah. if you came back to this in another five years when it didn't feel like stale or um, like hearkening back to a different time instead of trying to be fresh, then you know maybe you'd enjoy it a I bit mean, more or a bit differently. It's trying to be fresh at the same time as harking back to a different time because it's a whole fresh new story. And I mean, yeah, there's there's only so many places you can go with Batman. But, um, oh, actually, no, there's just more than so many places you can go with Batman, I have to say that. But I, I think, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's trying to be fresh and at the same time, it, it does harken back to that time. And I think it's, it's the fact that we've got, you know, a, a team of, a, a, a team of people that have previously worked on Batman uh, back in those times. And it's just kind of like a, a thing being brought forward. And I quite, I quite like it for that. Hmm. I do. We'll see where it goes anyway. But I quite enjoyed issue one. I thought it was a bit of fun to read. And it's one of those it's one of those things where, I mean, I go back and read old comics all the time. But it's one of those things where it's like, I could have, you know, I could have been reading this in the 90s. Or when I was a kid, I could have bought this with my pocket money. 
you know that's <laughs> what it feels like so yeah um and yeah so that's batman kings of fear number one and that is a six issue miniseries so yeah if uh if what i've said whets your appetite go grab it um be warned though like i said it's 90s artwork um on from there i guess it's you again ray with eternity girl it is indeed um this is something that i kind of wanted to chime in when you were talking about um ice cream man because it sounds very in some ways kind of similar in in like the format of the issue that you were talking about with the ice cream where it has three different layers of of a story happening at the same time um eternity girl does a lot of that maybe not in the same way it's not you know it's not a linear thing but there's this whole idea of um cyclicality and like layering of stories um but to backtrack a bit, so it's uh, I read Eternity Girl issues one to six, which is basically going to be a volume at some point. But I I felt like now was the right time to actually read all of them in a row because I've been meaning to. But I think I tried reading issue number one when it came out, and it just it was kind of an incomprehensible mess to me at the time, which is isn't entirely the comics' fault. I think it's this is one of those that really benefits from reading the entire arc in one go. Um, so this is a comic by let me just bring up the the creatives on it so it's uh the writer is magdalene visaggio um artist and cover artist sunny leo and colorist chris chukri um letterer todd klein and then i believe there's other variant artists like uh paulina ganeshow but that's only for the first issue i don't have the details for the rest um but it's essentially a story about a woman who can't hold herself together she can't keep herself together in multiple meanings of the, of the phrase um like i said it's a story about the cyclical nature of eternity and a world where the same lives uh, iterate over and over and what it must mean to somebody who is essentially immortal and so our lead character carolyn sharp um aka eternity girl um gained the power to shapeshift while she was trying to stop a supervillain um and it's kind of like shades of Dr. Manhattan to her, like literally, you know, in some ways, because she has this this blue hue in her in her skin and the um, the way that she can form and reform herself and like take control of matter in her vicinity. Um, but we learn that in this state, she's begun to unravel. And after an incident where she lost her calm and injured a co-worker by, you know, um, letting her powers run wild, um, she's forced to sit it out and attend therapy to determine if something like this will ever happen again. And in this time, which is like a six month period where she's had to have a time out um, and, you know, discuss with her therapist um, how how she feels about this this change in her being and this change in her humanity that was forced upon her. She decides that her life has no purpose and attempts to, to end her life over and over and over again without success um, because she's basically immortal. And like, I'm not as I'm not as naturally drawn to things that are this nihilistic anymore um because in on paper it sounds really nihilistic and it kind of is but it's got a colorful presentation and it's maybe it's coming to me at a time of flux in my personal life where some of these themes are kind of like striking a chord but i'm i really enjoyed this i mean the book is a it's a tangled non-linear mess because it does this thing where it's it's deliberately chopping in between scenes going from her present and then a past that she can sort of see and then a future that she can sort of see and then all these layerings of different timelines and it's trying to put you into the mindset of someone who has these powers um 
And she's had these powers for some some time, but is only now recently finding a deeper layer to them, where she can see this layering of multiple cycles of lifetimes. And it's this this vulnerable, in her vulnerable suicidal state, the same villain who caused her to have these cursed powers tries to manipulate her into breaking the cycle. In that the only way she convinces her that the only way to end her life for good is to end this cyclical nature of life. Um, and it's. It's kind of like a puzzle box story, but in a way that I kind of don't like, in that it's deliberately messy, and I'm I'm not sure I loved the the form and the construction of it, because um, it's confusing by the virtue of like if you, you know you were talking about um, the cyanide and happiness game yeah. where yeah. you you have these different panels and you can shuffle them and make make your own story out of them. I feel like it's confusing because the deck has just been shuffled. Like they've got a, they've got an idea and they've just riffled through the cards and mm. put them together, and it's in seemingly random way. It's not at all because like you can tell they've put a lot of attention and detail into like how it's layered, but it's so um, so disorientating. But what it does allow for is like some fantastically creative representations of that seeing between the layers power that she's beginning to have. So you have like some panels that can smoothly flow and weave in and out and over under each other to show these different realities. And then sometimes they smash together really jarringly, like like digital fuzz acting as jigsaw pieces, which um, is demonstrated in the uh, the cover for issue number one. And it's super disconcerting. Um, and then there's one issue, I think it, it's either issue four or five, which particularly stands out because it has these different iterations of the life cycle being drawn in different but really familiar art styles. Um, most notably, like the um, like a series of Peanuts comic strips. And it's just, it's really weird and jarring to see this um, like depressing and nihilistic theme brought out in basically Charlie Brown's um, like presentation. And it works really well. It's really, it's really like, it gets under your skin a little bit. And like, I think, while the, this fragmented format does, it does more to distract me from the story and confuse me than to engage me in it. But it really supports this running theme of like dis, uh, disorientation and loneliness and isolation that Carolyn is experiencing. And like, I'm really taken with it. I, I, I have to admit, I don't really understand what happened after, you know, six whole issues of it. But all that, like normally, if I normally when I come away feeling this confused, it means that I kind of want to drop it. But in this case, I really want to reread it and like soak it all in again, knowing knowing what the full picture is. Um, so I know I've not been very clear on what the story is, but I think that I can't, I don't know how to be any clearer on it because it is, it's such a tangled mess of ideas, um, but it's really charming. And I'd, I think you guys would, would really enjoy it. So yeah, Eternity Girl. Um, and I'm assuming the volume will be out fairly soon. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. That sounds pretty good. So that's on mm. uh, DC. It is. Yes, it was DC. And we talked about this uh, before the cast. It's uh, DC's Young Animal, which you said you have more information on, right? DC's Young Animal imprint, yeah, which um, I believe has something to do with a certain musician named Jared Way. Um, Who's that? The front man of My Chemical Romance. Oh, so one of your heroes then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, they've got a few <laughs> tracks I like. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks for drawing my guilty pleasure out on the podcast and putting it in digital ink. <laughs> you brought it up. <laughs> no, yeah, they've got a few tracks that I enjoy that I've been known to mm. enjoy. 
but yeah like multi-talented um, that's it's pretty cool yeah he, he writes mm. comics and he uh he makes music as well mm. um and he's uh he like i think uh, people really love his doom patrol run which i've not read any of but we need to get on because it's supposed to be really good uh the stuff he did when he wrote doom patrol um people um He's written a fair a fair bit of stuff for that actually. He's done. He, he wrote um, Umbrella Academy, which I think won an Eisner. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he's um, he's done some he's done some pretty cool things. Yeah, uh, Umbrella Academy, um, which it did win an Eisner for best limited series, I think. Wait, did it? Hold on. Am I looking at something else? First official issue of Umbrella Academy was released September 19, 2007. First issue sold out, consequently, second printing. Da, 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 Apocalypse Suite. Um, which one's Apocalypse Suite? Oh, um, it's the first volume. Yeah, so the first Apocalypse Suite is the first volume of Umbrella Academy. I'm getting myself mixed up here. Which won the 2008 Eisner for Best Limited Series. And the frontman from My Chemical Romance wrote that. Yep. He's living your best life, Greg. <laughs> frontman of a band comic book writer uh, if only <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um, so I guess that moves us on to Leon Leon what have you got I have got Pearl do you want a Pearl I'll take a pearl. a pearl yeah Pearl of Wisdom not so much okay more a uh Dark alley um, in the shady part of town and uh, the criminal underground all around you. So so I've just knocked over a pawn shop. Here's a pearl I stole. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you've, you've yeah. picked up the pearl from the cold dead hands of the person who tried to assassinate you, that, that type of pearl. That's more of a clam okay. than a pearl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the hand is but, the yeah, um, picked up Pearl, which is Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gaydos's, um new creation. So they are the co-creators of, well, the creators of uh, Jessica Jones. And um, when they did the Alias run, um, I think from about 15 years ago or something, it, was, it feels like it was a long time ago. But um, now with... Uh, Bendis's imprint, which is Jinxworld, um, I believe now that's at DC with his move to DC, and this is one of a few um, titles that he has running. I think the second one is called Cover, um, but yeah, the um, came across Pearl because uh, it's seen some chatter about it and. I was I was a big fan of uh, the Jessica Jones run, um, but I've not I've dipped in and out of a lot of Bendis in that time, and always hear like uh, mixed things on the things that I've not um, on the the titles that I've not or runs that I've not um, dug into. So I thought I'd give this a go because it, it is the the so called dream team um, for me, and yeah, it's. It's quite interesting. Um, I'll give you the the basic uh, blurb that they 
put, even though I always find with these blurbs that they're like the blurb for the first six issues or something, because they always like say, oh, is that one meant to be happening? Because uh, I haven't seen that happen yet, so I'll probably leave off the end. But um, the blurb is basically, Pearl is a story about finding out and embracing who you are, not what you were born to be. The sweeping epic romance is set against the violent backdrop of warring accuser factions in modern-day San Francisco. Pearl is a very special tattoo artist, an accidental assassin, whose life is turned upside down when she falls for her counterpart from a rival fa- uh, f- faction. Don't you hate when you just accidentally assassinate someone? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um, it's an intriguing but slight start. Um because you're, you're probably used to hearing me complain about issue ones and how issue one is sort of meant to feel like the first episode uh, or the first chapter in the story. Hmm. Um, and I find myself reading a lot of issue ones where it feels like it's the first scene or the cold open to the main book. And so you're given very little to chew on and then you have to wait a month. This is sort of like that, but it does set up what looks to be an intriguing world. Um, I think you're not really given much to go because what what happens in the book is pretty much uh, this guy somehow sees uh, the main character's wrist um, and she has this really cool tattoo on there um, of this spider. But um, he can tell by being on the other side of the out parking lot or where, wherever they are outside getting food, that it's by this particular artist um, and that it's like a one in a million and she's so lucky. And uh, he comes off trying to be like, not to be creepy, but blah, blah. And then they end up having a conversation about it. And then while they're discussing that and she's umming and ahhing um, with her best friend about are these people worthy or not because she finds out the guy's a tattoo artist and then she has a tattoo artist. Suddenly out of nowhere some crazy action happens and then it leads to her having to make amends with her Yakuza boss and then getting a mission and it'll be her first proper clean mission or, or whatever and yeah it, it, it's um it's a cool start i think um i definitely need a few more issues in this world to see what they they're giving us because um i mean it's hard not to compare and contextualize with the book that they reference on the cover uh jessica jones or at least the alias uh, run of jessica jones and i just feel in that first issue it hooked me a lot more and led me to want to continue, but I, I'm not entirely sure what, what's in store, and you never really are. So it, it's hooked me enough that um, I'm willing to keep with it, and I think a big part of that is because I love uh, Michael Gatos's art. Um, his like pencils, ink, and colors are so cool. Like. Don't know if you ever read the the their alias run, but he has this really cool 
people's textured but washed out and diffused color style. Um, and in this book particularly, it's a very has this very sort of digital look in the sense that it feels like the backgrounds are still hand-drawn but computer-assisted and then like cutouts of the characters are placed in that world and it it gives it this really cool perspective. Um, But also during the book, um, he does really cool things with... uh, experiments and messes around with the art a bit. So during the action sequence that I alluded to, um, it's you have that diffused background colors being green uh, with with red going through, and it it definitely gives it a kinetic, um, bombastic action feel. And it the, the juxtaposition of that with what just came before definitely plays as um, intense as I feel it should do. So that's quite cool. Um, and like, there's a s- series of flashbacks in the, in the issue. And for the flashbacks, they use um, black, black, he uses black lines um, on green ink. And it's that similar sort of brushed, diffused and washed out look. And it re- it's really effective. And the thing's, the use of those techniques and that style, as well as um, the character designs being having a lot of personality, which I quite like. Um, it was enough for me to be like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll check where this is going, even slightly more so than the story, because I don't really care about spider tattoos, but <laughs> but um, obviously there's more going on beneath the surface and this sort of San Francisco Yakuza world uh, seems to be a fertile ground for compelling uh, crime storytelling. Um, and um, from the blurb, it hints at some Romeo and Juliet-esque stuff, which is kind of cliche. So I'm hoping it, it's not as lame as it sounds and um, actually leads to quite an interesting interesting run yeah that sounds pretty cool um i need to check out the alias stuff because i haven't checked any of that out ever but um yeah that that does sound pretty cool um yeah bendis now working for dc like one of the biggest things to happen was him moving from marvel to dc because like my experience with bendis is his work on ultimate spider-man um and he's now working on action comics and he most recently made a little bit of a faux pas there didn't he yeah, it seems so. Yeah. Um, put Wrote something in a comic that he ought not to have wrote. A bit of an insensitive joke. Um, and he got in trouble for that. Um, with the public. And it's kind of a, a big mistake to make on a title like Action Comics. Because this is, this is Superman we're talking about. This is a Superman book, you know? But yeah, I mean... I should probably check out Pearl and see see what it's like as well because I, I need to check out his alias run as well because I've heard good things about it and I've never checked it out. But yeah, it'd be nice to check that out and have a look. So the the, the front cover of this issue is gorgeous because I saw it I saw it advertised in Eternity Girl and it's like this blue ethereal, possibly like almost a corpse on a on a slab, um, and you see like these blue lips and a tattoo on the neck and this beautiful like intricate flowery tattoo on the chest. 
it's, it's really nice. Yeah. Um, I did mm. see the cover for it before and I do want to check it. It looks like that. It rem- when I look at that cover, I can see the alias books because I remember seeing the alias books on the mm. shelves. And when I look at that cover, I can see it. I can see the Jessica Jones books. Yeah, like that washed out watercolour yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. And this is, I think, something that they, you know, when they did the Jessica Jones TV series, mm. I think I think that, that artwork was something that was a big influence on the way they filmed that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even yeah. in the um, the title sequence um, with its, mm. its use of colours and how the colours sort of intersect and overlap, that's that's very much like a, an updated sort of digital version of what they were doing in that original book. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, that was Pearl number one. And that moves us on to the last one on the list, which um, is fun. It's adrenaline-filled and it's prophetic. Um, it is crowded number one. Now, what I'm going to do first of all is I'm going to reel off the creative team. So, crowded number one. Before we go any further, we have writer and uh, design. So, script and design by Christopher Sabila. Uh, pencils by A. Rostein. Ted Brandt on inks. Triona Farrell, colours. Cardinal Ray, letters. Um... Juliet Capra is the editor. Dylan Todd is logo designer and Rachel Stott is variant cover. So, uh, well, Dylan, Dylan Stott is the logo artist as well, should I say. Um, so, yeah, this is crowded. Um, first look, you uh, have this book in front of you, this cover. Um, it's all grey, faded, apart from these two figures in the foreground. We have a young girl posing for a selfie. Uh, with pink hair and a black beanie. And um, behind her is a, another woman standing tall, um, looking kind of mean, shooting daggers at the crowd with two guns. And then you start to notice that the crowd are looking pretty pretty mean themselves. Some of them are actually wielding weapons. And uh, they look like they mean business, especially the grandma in the corner with the pistol there and the little dog. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is uh, Crowded Issue 1. Now... What we've got here is is something that is like describing a future that we are kind of on our way to. Um, without getting too much into the story myself, because you two got to talk about it as well, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is um, it's more my speed than number one with a bullet. The comic edge makes the uncomfortableness bearable for me, so. <laughs> it's the parody the parody edge to it that makes the fact that it's rooted in this this digital world and this like this whole these questions about information and about the way we use personal information and and, you know apps and things like that it's it's um and being fully online all the time it's more it's uh it's more comfortable for me to read this it's more my speed because it's quite parodial i guess in that sense, it's it's more of a a blown out comedy look at it than a horrible anxiety ridden thriller that number one with a bullet is. Yeah, it's also not putting you in the shoes quite as much as number yeah. one with a bullet does. It's like you don't feel like this could really happen to you at this moment. Yeah. Um. Like before we go too far, I want to I want to skip to the end kind of and read out what they talk about in their um their like post comic spiel 
by, yeah. by the writer. Yep. Um, the original title or one of the titles that they almost uh, chose um, over Crowded was Crowdfunded, but where the dead is spelled as in D-E-A-D, Crowdfunded. And the whole point is that it's about how we have... Um, you know how we have apps these days where you can sell any commodity that you have and you can crowdfund um, crowdfund any commodity that you want or any product that you want and in this instance you're crowdfunding the death of somebody that's yeah. the that's the the elevator pitch for, for yeah. this story crowd crowdfunded assassination um so what we've got is we've got this uh, this girl who is um she's very um this is how she makes her money off various apps. She does like 20 jobs a day or something when it lists out like what she does in her day. She babysits. She dog sits. Um, she drives an Uber. She <laughs> um, rents her car to people. She loans people money with like incredible amounts of interest coming back. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the gig economy gone wild. Yeah, mm. so she she like lives and dies by the gig economy, and she seems to be doing pretty well for herself out of it. You know, she makes a decent living and everything, and she's got this apartment and everything else, and she's doing okay. Um, until all of a sudden, obviously, someone's taken issue with her, and there's this app called Reaper, which is what Ray was getting towards, where you can crowdfund the assassination of somebody you don't like, um, and for any reason whatsoever. For some reason, this is perfectly legal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um to rival the app reaper that's spelled r-e-a-p-r you have an app called defender which is d-e-f-n-d-r i think am i right yeah to be yeah. to like ape tumblr and whatever yeah yeah it's that yeah. kind of thing that kind of spelling um and defender like if you are a target of a reaper campaign you can pay for a um a highly trained assassin to defend you kind of thing so um basically it's like you can rent a badass to kill someone but that same person can rent a badass to save them well it's more like it's um you can set up a kickstarter to to kill yeah. an individual yeah. but that individual can hire like an uber but instead of getting a car you get a badass with a gun yeah right like because the, the the very first page inside the cover is like a splash of um, of our protagonist connecting through Defender to a, oh, sorry, through the app Defend to a Defender who has, you know, one oh, and yeah. a half out of five stars. And yeah. you get to see their conversation with the autocorrect and everything saying, I need your help. Where are you? You know, can yeah. you be here within 30 minutes? And it's, you know, you, you can see the whole like yeah. Uber style thing where you have yeah. um, the picture of the Defender, how far away they are, how, yeah. you know, how long they're going to be. Uh, before they can get to you, how long they've been in service, yeah. how many stars they've got, what you get from your package with them, and yeah. like the um, the map with the little uh, the... location sticker on it as well. Yeah. Like it's it's so prescient, <laughs> it's scary, but, but it's... like also really funny. Just the context yeah. of it. It's more than Uber though, because they don't just take you one car ride. They they are contracted to protect you until the campaign ends. Exactly, yeah. and it's it's defend as you rightly said, not defender. Mm. I got that wrong. So how are we spelling defend? D-F-E-N-D. Uh, yeah, I was almost there. I just put an R on <laughs> the end. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's pretty cool. It's it's this fun, like, adrenaline-filled... Like, it hooks you up to an IV as soon as you open the book. You are jacked it in. And, like, it's, like, 100 miles a second, like, 
adrenaline rush action movie stuff and uh i i love it i love it uh, and like, actually... not 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 just the the like the pacing of the action movie stuff but like the pace of her life yeah like you said she's I mean, running yeah. 20 she's running 20 jobs in a go like she has all yeah. these micro jobs that she's doing and like her her yeah. life is relentless and then and like yeah. it doesn't really change that much once she's suddenly got um like uh, a hit on her yeah and even in her downtime she's just like living by apps yeah exactly she's mm. still partying like so hard even in her downtime, like she goes out and gets absolutely blasted and like wakes up the next day. And I'm like, how do you do that? How? <laughs> I wish I was still in my twenties. You know, <laughs> it's like, I just, you know, like I feel ill watching her drink because I know that I can't do that anymore. <laughs> it's just, that's how it is. But like, yeah, she's, she's brilliant. I, I, I love this character and I love and hate this world at the same time because obviously having heard me talk about number one with a bullet, you'll know how I feel about stuff like this, how, how I find it very creepy and how I want to live in a log cabin with no internet connection. But like, <laughs> uh, it's just like, yeah, it's, um, no, it's, it's great. I, I, and, and this is more my speed, like I said, because it's a parody and it's fun and it's action packed and it's not this horrible anxiety ridden book full of spiders. These are my spiders. I mean, people are scared of real spiders. These are my, my, um, hypothetical spiders if you like your These, personal demons yeah my personal spiders are apps and, and into the internet <laughs> and and being exposed and everything else you know like being exposed on the internet for having like you know like like it being doxxed or something like that that kind of thing hmm. that's the this is the kind of things i fear but uh, and it's irrational it's completely irrational because i don't even know why but i just do well kind, um, the, kind of the thing with this is you're led initially to believe that she hasn't done anything to yeah. deserve this fate yeah and you don't really understand what it what it means until um the defender explain i forgot what the defender's name is yeah. you can look that up while i'm talking but she explains that um the the amount like the price on her head is unprecedented like you normally when they when people try to crowdfund someone's death it's um it's in the matter of you know thousands of dollars or like relatively small fry stuff and you you know, you tend to only have like a handful of people who have so who hate you enough to enact upon this. Um, whereas she's racked up like I think it's in in the millions, and there's you know thousands of people. So she must ha- she must have something in her character that she's done to like set this in motion. And then as the comic goes on, you kind of learn little bit things about her that are you know less than savory ever so slightly or just her mannerisms or her behavior which can like can be read as either selfish which is like an indicator of the time that she lives in maybe because everyone's just doing little jobs to look after themselves like that's that's what it makes you kind of like her going through her day and like doing these micro transaction jobs and then just finding some guy to pull at the end of the night and like just repeating it over and over again and like it really fleshes out the world really well because then you have the way she behaves and then also like the people who take it upon themselves to basically um act on this bounty that people have crowdfunded to put the hit on her head like you have like you mentioned the old lady and what it what the world must be like to have this old lady open up her app and see there's an opportunity for you know a bounty out there and just go out and like use her phone to locate this woman and try and kill her it's it's so interesting. Yeah, it's um Yeah, I mean there's a particular app that she uses in this where she gets paid to be friends with someone. 
yeah. uh, where she goes and feeds birds with an old man. And that kind of struck a chord with me because I always remember when I was looking for a job once, um, when I was younger, I saw a um, an ad in the paper for an old man who wanted someone to go and watch brass bands with him. Oh, bless. <laughs> and he was like willing to pay someone oh to God. drive him to watch brass bands and go and watch brass bands with him, hmm. which I thought was pretty... I don't know. It just it just hit me a little bit. It's like wow, that's that's kind of sad. He needed yeah. power rent. Yeah, power yeah. rent. That's it. Yeah, yeah. power rent. Yeah, that's, mm. but that yeah, that's it. And there's a market for everything, I guess. Mm. And yeah, and you know what? I'm flicking through the comic and I cannot find the assassin's name. The uh, the defense. It's name. Uh, Vita. Vita. That's, that's it. it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. you got it right. So yeah, she's like she's like really cool, and she's got like this like yellow jacket, and you know. She's got this whole like um, suited thing going on with the tie and everything, like the professional look. Yeah, um, I adore Vita in this. Like she's got yeah. a like a yellow Aeon Flux vibe to her, yeah, kind of yeah. like with the swept over hair and like the straight laced like positioning and everything. Yeah, she's like she's got the whole professional vibe with the black trousers, shirt and tie mm. thing, and you know she's like she's she's hardcore. Do you know who actually who's the um, You'll know this because you're you're like a, a big saga head, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the um, oh, she has the big red dog with the skull and crossbones on the the Saint Bernard with the poison. Oh yeah, that shoots out poison darts from its nose. Yeah, what um, what is what is her name? <laughs> I don't, I don't actually know which character. <laughs> As in the the um the the brand was it? It's the Will's sister. Yeah, the brand. I the think. brand. Yeah, yeah. That's what I I get that vibe off her. Yeah, kind of. I get what you mean. Off Vita, yeah, because it's in the look, in look, the look department, in the way she's mm. like this professional with the suit and everything, and yeah, yeah, and like Got the it. angular features. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she's she's a really cool character, and I, I love like how like she's like the straight basically as like the the she's like the the straight the the straight in the story and the 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 other girl charlie is like the comedy like because she's just like being mm. like what the heck's happening now <laughs> and vita's like trying to keep her head cool and everything and she's like trying to like um it's it's like that whole like um you know like in a good action movie how you have like the straight and the funny man type thing yeah for sure yeah it's that yeah. that's what it is that's the relationship like <laughs> you've got one who's like the professional and one who's just you know like the wild card and bouncing their way through it yeah and you've got charlie there just like drinking like towards <laughs> the end of the comic she's just like getting plastered by herself in vita's house and i like the artwork in this is absolutely gorgeous i love it um, do you know what this this book reminded me of what um that sequence towards the end of john wick 2 yeah where like he's suddenly got a bounty on his head and every all these professionals are coming after him except he knew what the fuck he was doing yeah. and Charlie is entirely inept. Yeah. And at the same time, all of the assassins are pretty much inept because they're yeah. basically just, you know, like they randos. could be anybody, off, randos off the street who yeah. have picked up the app and seen like a, a, a quick opportunity. Like they're, not, and they're, not, they're not professionals at all. Like one of the, one of the first, <laughs> one of the first like groups of people that comes after is a bunch of people on their lunch break. <laughs> Yeah, they smash into like a McDonald's XP, and yeah. the only thing that like v, the, um like a really good establishing moment of Vita's character where she talks them down and says, you know, I've already made one kill, so I'm already past the point of caring because I have to do some paperwork anyway. So don't push my limits. Yeah, and congratulations on just buying a door because yeah. what you've done by smashing through this door is just have to pay for one now. Exactly, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's really clever dialogue. 
yeah, it's this whole like the the this this like back to the artwork again. It's just like this whole these vibrant colours and this punchy stylized cartoon caricature of the world that we currently inhabit there on the pages. Um and it's yeah, it's just some great action panels and like especially the car chase. There's a car chase and it's just fantastic. Um and there's some awesome like onomatopoeia that's actually integrated within the art during this car chase that looks great and I, I love this i look i think uh one of the uh creative team during their little spiel at the back calls it um diegetic sound diegetic sound diegetic diegetic that's the word i can't pronounce it but yeah um as in where it's sound integrated with the imagery and you can actually see a clear source for it and everything else mm. uh, which is really kind of cool um yeah, my favorite example of that is when she throws a cup of coffee mm. and like the coffee spells out splash as yeah. it's leaving the cup. Yeah. My my favorite one is with the car chase with the smoke spelling out screech. And <laughs> then you've got a part with um, an explosion where it actually says like Fakum or something like that within the <laughs> explosion, which is kind of cool. Mm. Um, but yeah, I um, it's like it's just so good and like woven in with the art and it just looks so so good like that and i love that kind of stuff um and the like it, it, even like with the i mean onto onto the lettering of the book itself like the lettering position of speech is spot on as well because it doesn't cover any of that up like because sometimes you get lettering in i mean we don't talk about lettering enough on this cast but sometimes you get lettering mm. in books where they've placed speech bubbles in such awkward places and like this this is like really good at where the lettering is it's like it's in a really nice place it's easy on the eye you can follow it it's not um it doesn't obscure the artwork at all it it just it just looks great yeah it's not an afterthought yeah and it yeah it's not an afterthought feels like part of the book and it's really nice it's not intrusive or imposed it's good positioning it's easy to follow and it works really good with the panel layouts because there's some great panel layouts in this book as well and yeah, I just thought it was just such a great first issue. And like I said, it's just way more my speed on tackling this kind of subject matter. It's way more my speed than number one with a bullet. And like, I mean, because it is, I mean, although we're talking more about the gig economy and apps and things in this, what what we actually have in this book as well is, is the whole thing that people can just track you through your use of these apps. We have like, she mm. has like a, something called a Fisco feed where people can see where she's spending money. Like how dangerous is that? You know, mm. I didn't. I didn't uh, clock onto that actually. Fisco, like fiscal, like where your money's going. Yeah, that's yeah. really. Yeah. that's terrifying. <laughs> that's how they track her to the McDonald's because she has a yeah. Fisco feed. You know, and they mm. track her to the fast food place because she buys a meal. It's like what? But yeah, it's it's, it's a great book. Um, and thoroughly thoroughly into it. Thoroughly looking forward to issue two. Yeah, I'd echo a lot of your statements. Like it has that core thing I really like with the tech being like 10 minutes into the future in terms mm-hmm. of the, the apps, the gig economy, the, um, the, uh, the use of different bits of technology, like the, the not surfaces in the current Microsoft surface, but the old surface where it was a <laughs> computer and a table. Um, mm. it has that technology in, in the restaurant and just li- little things like that. I, I like how, has this uh, anti-late capitalism message running through it with just like um, Rahul mentioned earlier, Charlie's behavior is sort of linked to 
general app usage where you dip in, dip out, use what use it for what you need it for, and leave out, and that that plays through her jobs, her life, her personal life, and her interactions with people, um, and it le- leaves her being quite um, at times a, a, an annoying, impetuous, and quick to action character. Mm. But um, all of that feeds through with the theme where you have, um, and not to go into any uh, deep um, plot details, but um, where Vita's house is, um, it's like uh, up or like, um, what's it called? Batteries not included, where it's like <laughs> surrounded by um, like industrial skyscrapers and stuff, but it's this, this normal three-story house yeah. that... Um, that hasn't, they never sold it off. So the skyscrapers just go around it and it, it has yeah. that um, very cool stylized look. And the house itself is actually quite um, coolly laid out as well. You do realize um, you're kind of giving away the location, Leon, for the assassins. Because <laughs> we're, we're putting this out on the internet and, you know. Hey, by yeah, the time we're... this goes out, uh, issue two will be closer. So maybe, maybe they'll be fine. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> But, um, Do you know what? It, it it took me a second reading of this comic to realize that that was part of the joke. Like, because when I first read it, I thought, "Wow, this house is gorgeous. Why is <laughs> why is Charlie like dunking on it?" And it's because like it's not what she's used to. Like, it yeah. is old fashioned in the way that we have, like, what we're living in right now would be considered old fashioned to her. And like, it's a it's a house. It's a homely house, and that's not in her experience. And it's so weird because. I don't know. I thought this three-story, like wooden building, looked gorgeous. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, man! Taste, like like taste, when I saw it, it's like, damn, I want to live in the attic. You know, hundred percent, right? Yeah, but obviously, that's not what kids are into in those days. You know, so <laughs> there we go. Yeah, well, and it's like um, I think what it nails really well with that stuff that you guys are talking about is the possible future of uh, like Generation Z and um, having grown up with Instagram and Twitter and, 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 and these like these apps, Uber, Tinder and all that. Uh, um, it gives a very sort of interesting look into what happens when those things are taken to the nth degree and there's no, um, uh, regulation with, with with that with that stuff, mm. um, and it, yeah, it obviously looks like quite um, quite a dark uh, future, and it, it does give off like linking back to the whole, whole ten minutes in the future thing it does give that very Black Mirror vibe. Particularly reminds me a lot of the season three episode one um, nose dive episode. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. yeah. Like which where, is, where which people is rate each China, other, right? Yeah, right. Uh, the episode of people um, rate each other. Like it, it does have that uh, that feeling where everything's running on electric, um, but but like we're, we're not seeing the true. We're seeing the the depraved behavior that this stuff leads to, mm. but we're not seeing the real socioeconomic. Um, like reverberations, like we're not seeing who's who's been swept under the carpet with all of this. So it's it it, it is very, in ways, it's very pointed and in, in, in what it's saying. And it's I, I kind of like that it has such a strong stance and is um, uh, 
delving into things in quite um quite a, like comedic um but in, in ways um grim fashion i think the uh character designs um like you were saying about the art i think the character designs are really cool and i think they give so much personality in such a short amount of time and what the comic does well is a combination of that and the writing is where these characters could easily be archetypes. So the main character could be counted as like millennial who just lives on apps. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, Vita um, could be counted as like, oh, just the cool, calm assassin type thing. In with both of them, we get hints of something more and something different. Very interesting, especially this um, montages like in the flashbacks or montages that we see and also in the characters speaking to themselves when no one else is around, um, you get a a deeper um, fragment of what's under the skin of these characters. And and I really like how efficient it does that. And in in contrast to Pearl, um, where I was saying, the end of the issue doesn't feel like the end of the chapter. This definitely, I don't know, it feels structured in a way where it, where it ended. I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm on the edge and I, I need to see what happens next. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's really effective with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I agree with everything you just said there. I loved every second of this book and yeah, I can't, cannot wait for issue two. So that yeah, was, sure. yeah, that was Crowded Number One, published on Image Comics. And that has brought us to the end of our list of books for this episode. So I guess we should crack on with the pull list, shouldn't we, Ray? Yeah, go for it. And Dive um, in. yeah, we'll start with the 29th of the year, 2018. And uh, I tore, I tore a putty cat. And you know what? I think I did. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, Catwoman Tweety and Sylvester special is out on uh, the 29th the 8th and that's on DC and this is more Looney Tunes meets DC characters stuff uh, you've also got the Joker and uh, Daffy Duck special so those are the two on my list those are the two I want and I think you've got one as well Ray yeah I picked up the Lex Luthor Porky Pig special yeah um, the only one. All of these sound great. <laughs> yeah, the only one I think no, no, none of us are interested in, or none of us have put on our list at least, is the Harley Quinn Gossamer special. More because I don't know what Gossamer is. Uh, who's who's that? Um, just a big orange monster. Uh, I've seen him appear in a couple of episodes of various Looney Tunes stuff, but like, I don't know Gossamer that well as just Gossamer kind of thing. Um, oh, I just Googled him. Yeah, yeah. I know Gossamer. This guy's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm going to pick that up as well then. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so you know you know Gossamer now? Yeah, the big yeah, I, hairy red monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know him, I know him from other Looney Tunes stuff where he's appeared in other Looney Tunes. I've not seen much solo Gossamer in my time. Yeah, I've he's always fighting with Bugs Bunny. Right? Yeah, I've seen him appear in Bugs Bunny and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Isn't he um, where he, like, I'm going to pet him and love him and name him something? Is that Gossamer? Maybe. I don't know. I remember him, like, being almost a Frankenstein XP, um, yeah. but he's actually kind of adorable at the end of it all. Yeah, I think I've got the wrong thing when I'm saying that, because I know that's, maybe, that's maybe. from a, an old Looney Tunes cartoon or something, but I just remember those lines, and it's like him with a pet kind of thing, but 
if that's it's gossip. It's been a while. We yeah, could both been a be right or time. wrong. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I mean, Catwoman and Tweeting Sylvester, just the cover just looks amazing. Mm. Have you seen the cover of that? Just this like really modern black yeah. and white cat that just reminds me of my own cat uh, <laughs> with a bird in his hand. And like, he's been grabbed by the scruff of the neck by Catwoman and Catwoman's just looking a little bit unimpressed kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. Um, and the Joker and Daffy Duck one, because that's just going to be out there somewhere <laughs> you know um the next thing we've got out on the uh 29th uh, so we've got all those dc looney tunes specials for you to pick up and laugh at peruse because uh, i'm sure they're going to be hilarious we've also got the x-men grand design second genesis number two so this is part two of the thing that me and leon discussed last time um which right. is uh x-men grand design second genesis which is part two of the whole x-men grand design project that mr red pisco is working on at the moment so uh definitely check that out because um it's been thoroughly impressive so far we have the conclusion to the latest teenage mutant ninja turtles uh event mini event mini run weekly thing which is the bebop and rocksteady hit the road number five uh so this is bebop and rocksteady's road trip coming to a madcap end i guess it's the best way to put this um it's uh it's been a hell of a ride i must say for the uh <laughs> the first four issues um and in true bebop and rocksteady style i expect it to go out with a um a mistimed um misinformed undereducated bang <laughs> I guess is the best way I can put that because those two are lovable boneheads. Um, I mean, they're just bang. <laughs> they're just like they're like. It's not like I, I think they're just bad people by design. Like, if I had to give them a D and D alignment, I'd say chaotic evil. Because <laughs> even when they've got a boss, they can't follow rules. They just they just do whatever the hell they want to do, and it's usually something bad. Like, even when they're trying to be good, like, there's a point where they decide they want to try and be heroes. Even when they're trying to be heroes, they end up being bad. It's like, they just can't help themselves. Um, and Ray, you got anything else for the 29th? Uh, 29th, something that I uh, picked up on because I read Pugnacious back in the day. I think that was quite a few months ago now. Yeah. Um, same publishing company, Belfast City Comics. Um, with Henry Roscoe number four. So Sorry, I didn't even mention the comic. Henry Roscoe. Issue number four. I think they're also giving away um, issues one to three. And I've been meaning to read these for a while just because I liked the stuff mm. they put out in the past. So, yeah, I'll be checking that out, I think. Yeah, definitely. Snap on with that one. Uh, and then we, we're into September now. So um, that's it. Summer's done. Oh, God. It's autumn now. <laughs> but, but that's oh, okay because yeah. autumn's awesome. It's the best season. Do you know what happens in autumn? The sun dies. Billions so- of spiders. Oh Halloween. So Halloween. <laughs> Halloween can do one. And also, like, I'd rather I'd if I could swap, if I could get rid of Halloween and not have any spiders, I'd be I'd be fine with it. But but do you know what's happening in September that no, we're all to. going to? It's Thought Bubble. Oh yeah. Yeah, there you go. You see something to look forward to. Will there be spiders at Thought Bubble? Probably because it's autumn. My oh, my. my Thought Bubble says no. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that is... uh, So now we're into the 5th of September and um, we have a Silver Surfer annual, which I thought was kind of interesting. Now, 
what this says here, blurb wise. Um, so Silver Surfer Annual Number One, and this is by Ethan Sachs um, and Andre Lima Arujo, and we've got Philip Tan, the cover artist, and uh, Marcus Martin does a variant cover. So Andre Lima Arujo is a artist on the book. Um, now. So I'll just read this out. So what mysteries await buried deep within the cosmic multitudes of the Marvel annals? Why, it's an untold story of the dark and tragic past of the Silver Surfer, brought to you the mighty Marvel way by Ethan Sachs, writer of Old Man Hawkeye. Now, I i don't know what's untold about the Silver Surfer's origin. I mean, got this dude, his planet's about to be eaten, and he strikes a deal with the Devourer so that his planet doesn't get eaten. Unless they're going to tell us something else that we don't already know. Which I'm hoping they do because, um, yeah, I mean, this sounds awesome. Uh, if it is going to be something that, you know, if it is something we don't already know. But yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it because it's Silver Surfer and we don't get enough Silver Surfer these days. Um, and uh, so this is Ethan Sachs, the guy behind Old Man Hawkeye and uh, Andre Lima Arujo of the Thanos Annual. So I've got the Thanos annual. It's brilliant. Um, anxious to find a world worthy enough to sate the mighty hunger of Galactus, Norin Rad's early explorations as the Devourer's new herald bear no fruit until the surfer discovers an exotic alien planet teeming with life and energy enough to finally satisfy his master. But can the surfer really doom an entire sentient civilization just to save his own? So I'm... Okay, right, yeah. So it is going to tell us something new. This is after he struck the deal. This is him being like, okay, so... Kind of don't want to do this, but going to have to do this. Do I really want to do this? Can I? So this is like the whole ethics thing that comes into the Silver Surfer. So yeah, this should be pretty cool. Um, We've also got that week, um, Cosmic Ghost Rider number three. And that's it for me. Just those two. Um, Where are we going with you, Ray? Yeah, slim pickings on my side as well, I think. Uh, so I picked up, I'm going to be picking up the raid number two. Um, which comes out on the 5th. Uh, again, just because it's the raid, and I completely missed the first one, so I'll be picking up both if I can. Um, and that's a Titan book. Uh, and then something called Cover, which is another uh, Brian Michael Bendis book. Um, and it just it just looks interesting. It seems like, if I read the blurb quickly, it says, deep in the American intelligence community, someone realizes that comic book creators who travel all over the world to sell their wares might make the perfect cover for operatives in the dangerous, topsy-turvy world of intelligence and counterintelligence. Um, seems like a cool meta meta story, so I'll be checking that out. Is this, and, is this like based on the life of Tom... Um, I can't remember his name. We talk about him all the time. The Batman writer, the Mr. Miracle writer, Tom King. Tom King, yes, possibly. It it doesn't mention him anywhere in this blurb because there was that whole say... thing where he said he was an intelligence agent and now he writes yeah. comics. Yeah, it may well be because it does say it's kind of based on a true story, sort of. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll find out. <laughs> but he doesn't seem to be involved in it in any way, according to this blurb, at yeah. the very least. Yeah, that's um, that's yeah, that's highly that's a little close to be true, I reckon. So a little hmm. too close to not be true, I guess. Maybe it's a coincidence. I don't know. But hmm. maybe we're going to get the, the story of Tom King, <laughs> the origins of this fantastic writer who brings us all these brilliant comics. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and from there, where are we going? 
Um, and the final one, again, this is picked up purely based on the fact that I like the, you know, I'm judging a book by its cover, um, called Viewertron. Yeah. Um, and it, apparently it's Sam Sharp and Peach S. Goodrich returning to their Eisner-nominated uh, series. Um, and with a new series, Viewertron, from Ad House Books. Uh, apparently it's going to feature seven different stories that elucidate the search for meaning in life in seven very different ways. So, sounds cool. Uh, I'm digging the cover. Like, it's a giant hand and a man like standing on it, looking all wistful with a little love heart coming out of him. It's cool. Yeah. Um, that is uh, the pull list for the fifth of September. So yeah, there's some pretty good mm. titles coming. Um, I mean, like I said, I mentioned Ghost, uh, Cosmic Ghost Ride number three. The first two have been fantastic, and if if you're into that, grab number three. Um. So that will close us out. So this is Ace Comicals signing off. Uh, you can find us at www.acecomicals.com. Um, that is kind of like the hub for everything. You can find links to all our other stuff on there. Um, we have a Facebook page under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. Um, you can find us on Instagram under Ace Comicals. You can find us to listen to us in hundreds of different places uh, a few of which i will mention uh, so we're on apple podcast overcast pocket cast spotify stitcher TuneIn, and castro um i mean you can listen directly from our website as well um you can find me on twitter under at bato where you can uh i don't know like get involved in the conversation send us questions to uh for the for the podcast you can send them to me or you can send them on the ace comicals twitter feed get involved with the conversation on the ace comicals twitter feed um you can um also send questions to ace comicals at gmail.com uh ray where can we find you on Twitter, at Munker, so that's at M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And everyone should tweet Greg just um, really cryptic messages saying, I can see you. Just please to, don't, just please to don't set, do set off his, yeah, set off his internet rage. Please, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, you know, you know the feeling you arachnophobes get when you see spiders? Like, yeah. you know, you know that, that, that horrible crawling feeling that you probably experience when you're thinking yeah. there's a spider in the room and you don't know where it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, now I imagine that's me every day with the internet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's how Google Maps makes you feel. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Things knowing where I am. No, not because I've got anything to hide, but because I just, I just, you know, uh-huh. it's, it's this uh-huh. whole being on the grid thing. It's just not good. But yeah, uh, Leon, where can we find you? Right behind Greg. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't leave messages on the back of spiders and then complain later that I don't like spiders, Greg. <laughs> I don't leave messages on the back of spiders, do I? No, but you use com- the internet every every day. <laughs> you communicate mostly through online means, right? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You speak to an entire audience through like the digital vibrations of the internet. So. That's the deal with the devil. I know, I know. That that's just the thing. It's just, I mean, like, if I can control what I'm putting out, I guess it's more the fact the control thing. If I can control what I'm putting out there, that's fine. But when when there's like back doors and stuff like that, and people are able to see stuff and track my behaviour via things, that's what I don't like. That's fair. Yeah. So that's that's where my fear comes from. The fact that my internet usage as innocent as it is, me just setting up this podcast and having a Twitter feed and everything else, like every other. 
I don't know, human being on the planet, I guess, um, you know, people can still track me and that's the thing that I don't like, the the, the, the fear of it, the, the fact that my, my, you know, that they, they have, it makes the wall between the, my information and the world thinner, I guess. And okay, it's only feel... going to get thinner and thinner. I know, I know. Tracking me by I my was going to say, yeah. I feel really bad now. Please don't tweet Greg random horrible stuff. <laughs> Send him actual questions about comics and interrupt his day. Yes. Talk to me. Nicely. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Leon, did you give out your Twitter feed? No, I was... Uh, Interrupted. Interrupted. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. You can also find all three of us in Leeds City Centre at Fort Bubble on the 22nd and 23rd of September. Please make it up. And if you see us, say hi. Yes, Love we're... to have a chat with you. Yeah, we'll be walking around um, that weekend. We're there for the whole convention, the whole weekend, the two days. Uh, and Well, come, yeah, come and have a chat with us and things like that. And we will, uh, well, if you've got questions and things, we can stick them up in the podcast. So, yeah, that has been Ace Comicals episode number 42. That's Ace Comicals over and out. Comics are for everybody.